0: All right, thank you for that good singing tonight, and I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 10, and we're going to look at the reason for foreign language classes tonight. Genesis chapter 10. If you've ever visited a foreign country, then you know that times it can be difficult, there can be difficulty in communicating. Uh, sometimes we have difficult in, difficulty in communicating here in our own uh country, but uh it really stands out when we go to a foreign country if if you've ever had that experience. But uh if you've had that experience of having that difficulty of not knowing what someone's saying, not understanding them, uh, we lived in uh, uh, Amish country there for the last uh, nine years, and sometimes those folks would speak in German or Dutch or uh, a low Dutch there, that uh, uh, they would actually have uh, three languages that they would learn. They would teach their children. They would teach their children their everyday language, kind of a low German, uh, Low Dutch, uh, uh, and then they would teach them in their schools the the High German, which the scriptures that they used were written in, and uh, then they would teach them English. They'd teach them the uh, German to so that they'd be able to understand what the uh, bishop was saying in their church services, and then they would teach them English so they could get along with the English world. But... Uh, Sometimes you might hear them talk and you don't know what they're saying. You can't understand them. Well, if you've ever been frustrated uh, about that, well, we can uh, blame a fellow by the name of Nimrod. Uh, it was his fault, and uh, so we can give him the blame. If you've ever been frustrated because you had to take a a uh, language class, maybe Spanish or French or Latin or something in school, well, blame it on him. Uh, that's his, uh, his fault, so... Uh, I know that, uh, and I've read where there's over 6,700 known languages and dialects among the human race, and you can just blame Nimrod for that uh, because uh, that's what we find here in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. You know, when we had uh, Brother Meriweli here the, uh, a while back uh, with uh, uh, talking about the unreached people, uh, many, many people across the world uh, who have a, a language or a dial, dialect, and they do not have a Bible uh, in that language. They don't even have a written language, let alone a Bible. They don't even have any books in their language. And so people have to go in and find out uh, what their language is, translate that language to a written uh, form, and then they can begin to translate the Bible into their language. Uh, I trust that you're continuing to pray uh, for those people. Uh, uh, we say, well... We can't do much about it. Well, we can pray that God will bring someone along to do that translation work and and bring the gospel to those people. But here's where this whole problem of language began. Uh, this fellow Nimrod is a very interesting character. We meet him in Genesis chapter 10 where we are given an ethnological logical table of the human races. Now, uh, you find Genesis chapter 10 divides mankind into three basic races, Semitic, uh, Aryan, and Turanian. We find in Genesis 10 that there are three sons of Noah, and the sons, all uh, from and their sons, all the human races emerged. And we see that from Jephthah, the Indo European family emerged, which takes its principal races of Europe and the Asiatic Aryan race. And we see from Shem, the Semitic Uh, family emerges and takes on uh, in the Assyrians and the Hebrews and the Jactanite Arabs. And then we see from Ham, the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, the southern Arabs, and early Babylonians emerged. But we also see in Genesis chapter 10, the beginning of a city and uh, the kingdom that is often mentioned in the Bible. Uh, This is the city and the kingdom of Babylon. And uh, it's from the city of Babel in uh, Genesis chapter 10 and verse 10. We see there in the beginning of this kingdom was Babel or Babel and Erech and the Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Uh, Babylon in the Bible symbolically and prophetically stands for the consummation of all evil. Now let's look at this story of Nimrod and Babel and glean uh, three particular lessons, I believe, for our own hearts and for our own lives here tonight. First of all, we notice this, a ruler that was powerful. We find a ruler that was powerful. Notice in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 8, it says, And Cush begat Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one, in the earth. Nimrod is called a mighty one in the earth. Three times in verses 8 through 10, he is called mighty. The word is the usual term to describe a great soldier. It means a champion. He's a man of great strength and of great power. And so as we consider Nimrod, notice first of all, he's a mighty ruler. He's a mighty ruler. In verse 10, Again, it says, The beginning of the kingdom was Babel and Eric and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Now up to this time, we do not read about anyone having a kingdom. Nimrod seems to be the first ruler and the first dictator in history. He started and he organized and he ruled over Babel or Babylon that was in Shinar, the land which we would call Iraq today. Notice carefully that in verse 10, that it was the beginning of his kingdom. His kingdom. He set himself up as the ruler of all mankind. He made himself a one world ruler. Uh, He was the first Hitler. He was the first Mussolini. He was the first Stalin. He was the first Saddam Hussein uh, in history. In verse 8, it says he began to be a mighty one in the earth. Now, that word suggests that he used whatever means was necessary to gain this power. Nimrod grew in power, and as he grew in power, he began to dominate and dictate, establishing his own kingdom over which he ruled and reigned. Now, furthermore, we see that he was, secondly, a mighty rebel. He was a mighty ruler. He was a mighty rebel. The name Nimrod means, we shall rebel. He was a mighty ruler, and he was a mighty rebel. Now, how was he rebellious? Well, if you look here in chapter 10 and verse 9, notice what it says. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, the Bible is not saying that he was a great deer hunter. It does not say he was a great turkey hunter. Uh, it does not say that uh, he was a hunter of fox or bear. It was not suggested that he—I uh, uh, mean—it's not suggested that he even ever had an appearance in the magazine Field and Stream. He—it it was not a matter of his having his own line of hunting equipment that you could find down at uh, the the Bass Pro Shop or uh, uh, or um, Cabela's or some place like that. No, uh, Nimrod hunting equipment and accessories. No, nope, there wasn't anything such thing. Now, it sounds like a good idea probably, but uh, uh, that's, that's not the, the case here. The word here that's very important uh, is the word before. It says he was a hunter, mighty hunter, before the Lord. Now, that word literally means against he was a mighty hunter against the lord he was a man in defiance of god he wasn't a hunter for animals he wasn't a hunter for he was a hunter rather of men the jewish talmud reads a hunter of the souls of men he was a rebel against god he sought to turn those he ruled over away from god as well. Now, Nimrod was a mighty ruler, a mighty rebel, and that's a picture of the work and the aim of Satan. The world has been called Satan's kingdom. Satan is is a rebel against God, and his desire is to turn men from God and keep men from God. We read over in Job chapter 1 and verse 7, and the Lord said unto Satan, "Whence comest thou?" Then Satan answered the Lord and said, "From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it." In First Peter chapter five and verse eight, we're also told that we are to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. If you don't think Satan is a powerful ruler, just look around in the world today. If you don't think he's hunting the souls of men, open your eyes. Satan blinds men and he binds men. He deceives men and he destroys men. He controls men and he corrupts men. He rules men and he ruins men. His methods are many, but one in particular, one Particular method has been extremely successful. And so Nimrod here is a picture of, of, of Satan. He was a mighty hunter before or against the Lord, he was a, a ruler that was powerful. Now, secondly, we, uh, we not only see a ruler that was powerful, but we see a religion, a religion that was perverted. Look over in Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, And the whole earth was one language and one of one speech. Everyone spoke the same language. That phrase, one speech, literally means few words. It's not like the woman who said she was of few words but used them frequently. Everyone has one set of words. There's only one language and one set of words for everyone. Someone may say, that sounds nice. I wish everyone spoke the same language today. Well, the problem was not how they talked, but how they walked. Notice three things about these people. First of all, they were sinfully disobedient. They were sinfully disobedient. Notice chapter 11, verse 2. It says, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Many times in the Bible, geographical notations are very important. For example, when the Bible talks about going up to Jerusalem, that's a true geographical statement. Jerusalem is up on a mountain so to go to jerusalem you had to go up but it also has a spiritual significance going up to jerusalem represented being in the presence of god or worshiping god you take for instance egypt in the bible the bible always speaks of going down to egypt going down to egypt that's also true geographically if you look at the map if uh, from uh, from Israel, uh, Egypt would be down on the map, but from the uh, uh, and be south of uh, of Israel, and one could say they are going down, but it's also symbolically true. Egypt is always a type of the world in the scriptures, and so when we read here in Genesis eleven and verse two, they journeyed from the east, and when a person's journey east, uh, we find in the Bible is symbolic of a person turning their back to the light. You see, the sun rises in the east. And so to travel from the east is to turn your back to the light. And these people were turning their back to the light. Verse 1 speaks of the whole earth. It uses that term, that phrase, the whole earth, which simply means all of mankind. Verse tells tells us they, that is, the whole earth, All of mankind settled in the land of Shinar. Now this was in direct disobedience to what God had commanded. Because if we go back to chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the land of Shinar. No. It says the earth. God had told them to replenish the earth. His plan was for them to scatter, to replenish the whole earth. And yet we have all of mankind in one place. They were disobedient to the light. And again, Satan wants us to disobey God. This book is God's light. We have God's revealed will for our lives right here in the book before us. And God wants us to turn our backs on this book and be disobedient to God. Now, we also see they were not only sinfully disobedient, but secondly, they were selfishly dependent. Look at verse 3. It says, And they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. Now often we get these pictures of Early man, you know, uh, you, you, someone talks about early man and you, you find early man as a bumbling caveman living in ignorance and intellectual darkness. Why, why do we have that idea? Because evolution has given us these ideas. This is what evolution has taught us. But no, uh, man in those days was very intelligent. Intelligent. Uh, they were in a land without the availability of stone for construction, but that didn't stop them. They took what they had and they learned how to utilize it and they made brick. They learned how to bake the bricks in the fire to harden them just as we make bricks today. I don't know if you've ever seen how bricks are made, but they're, they're made and they're put in the fire. They didn't have concrete back in those days, uh, so they utilized tar, that was available in the the area. So it's obvious that these are very intelligent people, but the problem was they were selfishly dependent people. They said, let us make brick. And I want you to notice in verse 4, it says, and they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad from the face of the whole earth. We see here that says uh, there's a lot of let us in here. It's us, 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 and then us. There's no God. There's no thought of God. It's only man, man, man. Uh, they're like the modern day humanist that had no room for God, no need for God. Their prayer probably went something like this Our brothers, which are upon the earth, hallowed be our name. Our kingdom come, our will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. For ours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That was probably their prayer. But when a man turns his back to the light, it's not long that he leaves God out of his life altogether. Satan wants us to do our own thing. He wants us to be selfishly dependent. He wants us to, get, uh, us to be in a place where we think, oh, I can handle this myself. I don't need God. I don't need all this religion. I don't need all this Christian stuff. I can handle this on my own. I don't have any need for anything or anyone. They were sinfully disobedient. They were selfishly dependent. And thirdly, they were spiritually distorted. Spiritually distorted. Now again, in verse 4, I want you to notice what it says there. There were two things they wanted to build. One was a city, and the other was a tower. Now, one had to do with the physical longing of their heart, and the other had to do with the spiritual longing of their heart. Now, the city was the answer to their physical longings. Now, they wanted a place where they could have... uh, companionship, a place where all their needs of their of their uh, physical needs would be met. Uh, this city would provide a place to trade, a place to purchase, a place to shop, as well as a place to have entertainment and pleasure. And then the tower answered the spiritual longing of their heart. Even though they had turned their back on God and left Him out of their life, there was still the spirit of man that had a hunger uh, for a worship of its creator. And the city would take care of the body and the soul. So they decided, you know, uh, build a tower and they'll take care of the spirit. Notice very carefully here in verse 4. You know, most of us have been taught from the time we were very little that their ambition was to build a tower that would reach to heaven. You probably remember being taught that. But you know what? That's not actually what the Bible says. Take a look at it very carefully. If you'll notice, the two words, may reach. uh, They're in italics, aren't they? Uh, That meant they were added by our translators to help understand. And so in this case, they created perhaps a misunderstanding. Misunderstanding it is literally, literally whose top into heaven whose top into heaven you might read it whose top with the heavens the idea was not to build a tower so tall that it reached heaven but to build a tower that was topped by the heavens or the top of the tower was dedicated to the heavens you might call it a temple tower it was a tower whose top was a temple which was dedicated to the heavens It was not a temple dedicated to God, though, God who created the heavens, but it was a a temple dedicated to the heavens that were created by God. And really, to put it in a nutshell, it was a temple tower dedicated to astrology. You know, the archaeologists have found some similar towers in this region, and they found on the tops the zodiac. You see, these people were star worshipers. And you'll hear all the time, people, you know, what's your sign? Uh, you know, What's your sign? You have a sign? You know, instead of looking to God who made the stars, they're looking to the stars that God made. And the name Babel means gate to God. They were saying that the stars were the gate to God. Later on, the name Babel came to mean confusion where we get the idea of babbling on and so forth. What you have here is confusion about the way to God. And this is the beginning here of all false religions. It reminds me that Satan doesn't care how religious you become as long as you get messed up about the way to God. You know, Satan really is kind of glad for religion. And a lot of religions have it all wrong about how to get to God. You see, Satan's not against religion; he just wants you to be confused about religion. Now, let me say just a word about this astrology. And I hope none of you begin your day today by checking your horoscope. I want you to listen to what God says about astrology. It's found over in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 9. Begins there in verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer, For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. You see, astrology is an abomination to God. Astrology is nothing short of idolatry. It replaces God. Somebody says, I'm going to check my horoscope. I've got to get the paper so I can check my horoscope and see what kind of day I'm going to have hey, why not go to God's Word and check with God and see what kind of day you should have? These stars were never intended to find our destiny, but to bring glory to God. It's it's wonderful on a clear night to look out at the stars and to just to see all of the uh, constellations and all the stars. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful creation of God, but it's never been meant to be worshiped. Astrology and tarot cards and Ouija boards are all of the devil and they're an abomination to God. And so we have here a ruler that was powerful, a religion that was perverted, and thirdly, a ruin that was paramount. A ruin that was paramount. If there is one thing this people should have learned is that you don't turn your back on God. You know, the flood should have taught them that. But how easy we forget. Uh, As we look at the story, we see here, first of all, the visitation of God. The visitation of God. Notice in verse 5 and 6. And the Lord came down to the city and to the tower which the children of men built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. The Lord came down, not seeking information, but He came down for the purpose of revelation. He declared that their sufficiency and their spiritual idolatry uh, uh, was uh, was a problem. Uh, it was not a case of God being jealous of man's ability or man's accomplishment. It was a case of God being disturbed that man credited himself and left out God. The Lord came down to see the work. We see that in verse 5. You know, it's of interest to note that while the men were going higher and higher uh, uh, perhaps than ever before, while they were erecting a city of greater significance than ever it existed elsewhere in the world, their great was, greatness was still below the Lord. The Lord came down. He came down to look at it. Now this was... An unnecessary act for an infinite God because we see in Proverbs 15 and verse 3 it says, "...the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good." So it's very mentioned here, contrasts the true greatness with human greatness. God comes down when He judiciously interposes into the affairs of men. It also reminds us of the separation between man and God. God has come down to talk with man because mankind is in a lowered position. The Babel project was initiated from a lower position, and in a case, in a case can be made then for saying that it lowered man even still more. So we see here, first of all, the visitation of God. But secondly we see the vindication of God. Again in verses 6 uh, through 9 we see here he goes on to say in verse 7 go to let us go down and there confound their language that they may not be understood one another they may not understand one another's speech and so the lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city therefore is a name of the of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad from the face of all the earth. <clears throat> now again, we see here first of all that he, he confounded their languages. I can imagine a fellow there working. He says, "Hand me another brick." And then the fellow next to him says, "No speaking English." And he starts talking in a language no one around him could understand. And another one might have said, Sprechen Sie Deutsch? And then we read how that God scattered them all over the face of the earth. As I've already mentioned, the word Babel is an interesting word because it is given two different meanings. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 9, uh, we have the word as it says here that uh, the Lord called the place Babel because He confounded the language of the earth. And the Hebrew word here means confusion. The Babylonians themselves used the word to mean the gate of God. And so the Babylonians said, we are the gate of God. And the Jews said, no, you are confusion. And throughout the Bible, right to the book of Revelation, the concept of Babylon stands crucial And Babylon is saying, we are the great gate of God. And the Bible says, no, this is the place where the basic confusion of language occurred. You are confusion. And our own word uh, uh, Babylon is simply the word Babel with a Greek ending. Now there was a, a dear poor saint of God who happened to enter into a very fashionable church. And after the service he approached the minister and told him he wanted very much to join the church. Well, the pastor knew that his consent to such a request would not meet with the approval of the official board of the church and the congregation. And at the same time, he didn't want to appear to be cruel or uh, harsh to the man. So he said to this man, John, go home and pray for two weeks for the Lord to guide you definitely whether he wants you to join this church. And accordingly, Humble John took the advice and went home. And when he returned two weeks later, the pastor asked him about the Lord's direction. Sir, John replied, God told me he's been trying to to get in here for the past 15 years and he hasn't succeeded. So I had better give up trying where even God cannot gain an entrance. You know, the early post-flood world had some ambitious individuals. They stretched their limits and they pushed beyond themselves. They looked for more than what they had and began to forget the Lord. They began to envision things they shouldn't and soon uh, were pursuing whatever they imagined. You know, it's easy in such a world not only to forget God, but even to view Him as a barrier that isn't welcome in the day's plans. You know, confusion will reign in a world where God is not welcome. The world can be a confusing place. One farmer was pulling a rope behind him as he walked across the yard and the neighbor asked him, what are you doing with that rope? Well, friend, I've been reading the papers and listening to the radio and the world's condition the way it is, I'm confused that I don't know whether I've lost a cow or found a rope. You know, the dictionary says, to be confused is to be perplexed or be bewildered. To mistake one thing for another. Even the best and most brilliant human beings can be confused. Here are a couple of illustrations. You know, an announcement came over the loudspeaker at Washington National Airport. Attention, please. Will the Piedmont passengers who have not done so, please do so immediately. Well, then there was the traffic sign at the intersection of the superhighway near Chicago to make a left turn, make two right turns. You know, radio and TV announcers have been so confused. A baseball game went into extra innings, and a sportscaster announced the Tonight Show has been canceled, the Tomorrow Show will be seen later tonight, and the Today Show will be seen tomorrow. You know, we live in a very confusing world. Someone wrote it this way, This I have never understood. We chop down trees, but we chop up wood. We draw down wrath, but we draw up wills. We run down foes, but we run up bills. We eat up food, but we down a drink. Which is a little strange, I think. We turn down offers, and we turn up noses. Just one last thought, and then this closes. We should remember, we poor clowns, that life is full of ups and downs. Well, this world we live in is very confusing, and sometimes our language, even our language, which we all speak the same language tonight, I hope, is confusing. And We've been talking about that in our Sunday school class, about communication. This whole story, though, reminds us of the folly of leaving God out of our lives and turning our backs on Him. Whenever one tries to run their life without God, Whenever a nation tries to run itself without God, there is always going to be confusion. Somewhere God will intervene and He'll judge. Life is always a failure if God is not in it. Listen, I wonder, is your life full of confusion tonight? Perhaps you're trying to live without God. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have, been, have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They were all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear. For God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is His refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of His people. Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. I think tonight... We need to realize that it's a foolish thing to try to live this life without God. And most of us know that here tonight, and I'm thankful for that. But let's be reminded by our lesson here from Genesis chapter 10 and 11 that we do not dare turn our back upon the light. Do not turn our back upon God. It'll only bring confusion and heartache into our lives. We need to trust Christ and we need to live for the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much tonight for your precious word. Even in this story, which we've uh, heard many times, perhaps help us to look at it in new light tonight. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to live for you, help us to never turn our backs upon you. Help us not to look to the world for our advice and for our uh, the needs that we have. We pray, Lord, that... Uh, We'll be faithful uh, to honor and glorify your name. Lord, thank you for each one that's here tonight, and we pray your blessing upon our week ahead of us. May Jesus Christ be honored and, and glorified and lifted up, and we pray that we'll live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.